Hey, and welcome to the Joey Miller Podcast. I'm Joey Miller from Champion Christian Center, and I want to invite you today to study the book of Ephesians with me. It's by no means an all-inclusive, in-depth study. It's a quick overview to bring understanding and really help the Bible come alive to us. I, I really pray that when we do these Bible studies that it, it stirs up the love for the Word of God within you. And so we're going to open up the book of Ephesians today. We're going to get an understanding of why Paul wrote it, who he wrote it to, what was going on when he wrote it, and then we're going to venture through this short yet very, very uh, insightful book of the Bible. So the book of Ephesians is one of Paul's letters, one of the Paul's letters to the churches. Personally, I love Paul's letters. I love to, to hear his writing style. I love to hear what he's saying to each of the places that he's writing to. And the amazing thing about his letters are, not only does he have these great insights about the Bible and the gospel and, and his perspective, because Paul was absolutely brilliant, but then he does a shift to where his letters not only become applicable for the church which he's writing them to, but there's always a personal takeaway, which is so awesome about the Word of God. The Word of God is for all generations, so it never expires. And what was pertinent or um, influential to the church in Ephesus, you can find truths that are still valuable to us today. And I love that about God's Word. So let's talk for a second about the book of Ephesus. Ephesus was written uh, from prison when Paul was, was writing from prison to the church that was established there in Ephesus. Now, Paul first journeyed to Ephesus back in Acts 19. So if you want a little bit of a backstory of how Paul got to Ephesus, go back to the book of Acts chapter 19 and read, and you'll see how Paul got to this place. Now, Ephesus was a thriving town. It was hustling and bustling, and there was lots of income. Um, it was a, a port city, so things were, were growing, and things were uh, just on the cutting edge in Ephesus. And so uh, in Ephesus, not only were, were things prospering as far as financially and growth, uh, but, but they also worshipped many gods uh, in this place, that they had lots of pagan worship. So they didn't just believe in worshipping one god or two gods, they could worship as many gods as they wanted. They had a very polytheistic view on worship. So, you know, the more gods, the merrier, basically. But the one main god in Ephesus that they worshipped was this god, she was called the Artemis. And she was the god of um, protection. She was the god of fertility. And so they would always bring these offerings and sacrifices to Artemis. In fact, the temple that they built for this god was one of the seventh wonders of the Roman world at that point. It was so big, it was so huge, and it was so beautiful. And so these people, uh, they had a really open uh, mindset to the things of uh, of. Uh, the gods and just um, to astrology and they were just open to lots of spiritual things and so they were already spiritually minded people the problem was their spiritually mindedness was put into the wrong thing so even though they were giving all of these sacrifices they were paying all of these dues to, to these gods especially the god of protection and fertility 
uh, we would see that they lived in this constant sense of fear, that they never knew that they were really secure in any way with any of the gods that they served, that they were doing everything that they knew to do, yet there was this lingering sense of fear that they weren't really sure if they were appeasing or pleasing all of these different gods. So back in Acts 19, we see that, that Paul goes to Ephesus and he does a ministry there for a little over two years. He spends about a little over two, under three years in Ephesus. He establishes an amazing work. Even though Ephesus had a lot of Gentiles, non-believing, not Jewish people at the time, there were also a, a portion of a large portion of Jewish believers that lived in Ephesus and so Paul's coming into this place to do missionary work to preach the gospel and he, he wants to establish Jesus Christ as Lord so he has a great following there's like a revival that takes place in Ephesus people are getting uh, saved they're giving uh, their lives to the Lord they're having this revelation that I don't need to worship many gods but but through Jesus Christ now I can have a relationship with the one true God and I don't have to live in fear I don't have to live in worry that I can really start to understand that I even as a Gentile can have a relationship with Jesus Christ so so many people in Ephesus were getting saved that uh, Artemis was taking a hit people weren't going to the temple anymore they weren't giving as many sacrifices and so they saw a real shift in culture at that time well so Paul spends about three years in Ephesus and then he leaves to go on and do other work and so about six years go by and he finds himself in prison and he's writing back to the Ephesus church. So at this point, there was a lot of contention between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. Um, there wasn't a lot of acceptance of one another. Uh, at this time, there was a little bit of mingling of the Gentile beliefs. They thought, oh, well, we can have, we can believe this Jesus, but we can also go and pay sacrifices to other gods and things like that. So, so there were some, some mindsets uh, of the Gentiles that were seeping in to the new believing churches. And so Paul's writing back uh, to this church in Ephesus to give them guidance, to remind them of who they are in Christ, and to really show them that, remind them not only of the gospel message, but hey, this is how you should live because of. So the book of Ephesus is divided into two parts. And we're gonna take a look at those two parts. But as we're launching in, to reading this together. Hopefully you're reading it in your alone time. You're using this background as kind of a basis to go into and approach the word of God. That's what I love about understanding the culture and the history of why things are being written. Not only does it give us a clear contextual meaning, but now I can take that away. I can relate it to what I'm going through. You know, how does that relate to the world that I'm living in now? And what would the Apostle Paul be saying through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to me today? And so the book's divided into two parts. The first three chapters uh, talk about uh, the gospel in such a poetic way. We're going to take a look at that, some of the verbiage that Paul uses um, in describing the gospel message. And it's just a beautiful reminder to the Ephesians. We're going to get into the, the nitty-gritty of it a little bit, of who they are in Christ, and, and that they don't have to live in a place of not knowing, the security that they have because of their a relationship with Jesus Christ that they don't have to wonder do I have protection you know, am I am I appeasing him no you you are a Christian you are adopted into the family of God 
And then the whole second half of Ephesians uh, is connected by the thought of therefore. This is what the gospel says, who you are in Christ, how he loves you. Now, therefore, this is how you should live your life, Ephesians. And so uh, we're going to take a look at that as well. So the second half gives us a lot of understanding of now that we have this knowledge. He uses amazing metaphors uh, about building the temple and that now we are the temple. He uses the metaphor of marriage, the marriage uh, relationship between a man and a woman as uh, Christ in the church. And so we're going to dive into this book together and we're going to start to see how the gospel is revealed to us uh, not only in revelation but in application throughout the book of ephesians so ephesians 1 paul starts with this amazing greeting to the ephesians let's let's uh, open up and read some of this in verse 3 of chapter 1 blessed be the god the father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places now understanding where paul's coming from makes this even more rich. He's starting it off and he's saying the blessings that you have are through Jesus Christ and they're spiritually blessings and you have every one of them. And he's saying you don't have to, let me remind you Ephesians, you don't have to worship all these gods for all these different spiritual blessings. See the Ephesians were already open to a move of the spirit because they were already engaging in spiritual things but they had uh, they had their mindsets wrong their theology was wrong so he's reminding them look you have every spiritual blessing in heaven because of your relationship with Jesus Christ and he says even as he chose even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will and and so i love this this uh verbiage that he's using let me remind you that you are adopted that you're not just a servant that comes and and pays your sacrifices to some god that you are a son or a daughter of the living god think about that you know they were going through whether it was the the gentiles that were worshiping idols or even the jewish believers that were just doing things out of formality he's saying now you are not a servant that you just go do things out of religiosity how does that speak to us today? What a great reminder that as we're going through life and, and we say that we're Christians, that our Christianity is more than just about checking things off of a list or, uh, you know, doing good things. We can get into the theology without even realizing it, that if I do enough good acts, then God is pleased with me. And he is reminding us like, yes, yes. It, it goes on to say that, that we actually, out of our love, we want to be holy and blameless before him. But, but he chose you before the foundations of the world, that he loves you, that you're adopted in as a son or a daughter. That means that this spirituality that you have isn't one-sided where you're just paying all of your dues and making all your sacrifices to a God and maybe, maybe one day that's enough and they will protect you or bless you. He's saying that's not how it is. Sonship means that you now have a relationship with the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. That means now you have a relationship where He loves you and He wants to uh, talk to you, that He wants to answer your prayers, that He's not mad at you all the time. What a great revelation is Paul's even coming into this first chapter reminding the Ephesians and us that we are sons and daughters of the Lord. 
In verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And, and down in verse 11 of chapter 1, it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Paul, in a beautiful Jewish poetic way, is reminding us that we are his sons. We are predestined that God chose us. He chose us, that, that he's not far from us, that he's not a, a God that's up in heaven and, and we're down here and there's a great chasm that we can never reach. He's saying through Jesus, now that chasm has been, has been fulfilled and now we have that relationship that he chose us, predestined us. We serve a God that is a sovereign God. He is a holy God, yet he is a very intimate God that he knows us and he chose us, that he chose us. And it goes on in chapter two, I don't want to get ahead of myself, as it's his creation and he set aside those good purposes for us to walk in. So Paul opens in that first greeting with this poetic vocabulary of the beautiful description of the relationship that we have. He's reminding the Ephesians, hey, look, you're no longer servants. You're no longer uh, casting uh, you know, your money or your sacrifice before God that don't hear you. You are children of God. And he goes on and he, he gives a beautiful thanksgiving and prayer. He prays that the, the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened, that you were called to know the riches and glorious inheritance of the saints. In chapter 1, verse 19, And what is the immeasurable greatness of the power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked all in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only against the age, but also the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave us and gave him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills it in all. Think about what Paul's saying here. He's saying, look, all of those gods that you serve, they're nothing compared to this one who is Jesus Christ. All of those things are under his feet, like way under his feet. And what a reminder to us, you know, what gods do we serve, knowing or not knowing, in our lives? Maybe it's the God of fear. Maybe it's the God of stress and anxiety. Maybe it's the God of feeling like we're, we're never going to measure up and we have to, you know, always be doing more or we have to be doing better or, uh, you know, what is it that we subconsciously still worship in our lives? Like Jesus plus this stuff, Jesus and then this stuff just to be sure. And that's the mentality that, that Paul's trying to break in the, in the Ephesians. Like Jesus is enough. He is enough. You know, get off of your idol worship. Stop worshiping the gods of the age. He said, oh, he's over these, the gods of this age and the ones to come. The ones to come. There are still things that we idol in our modern day that we don't even realize it. And so stepping back and saying, you know what? Jesus is enough. His love is enough that, that I have a beautiful inheritance in him. And everything else is far under his feet. So I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to stress about it. I don't have to live in fear. I don't have to live in a constant reactionary state of what's going on in the world around me. No, I can be secure and firm that Jesus is above all, that he rules all, that he is the head of the body. 
And that is just in chapter 1 of Ephesians. Chapter 2, we start to see, he, uh, Paul starts to talk about the grace that we have because of the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. Let's skip down Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him, seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Skips down to verse 8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, he says once again. And it's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that anyone may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we could walk in, that we should walk in them. One of my favorite verses in Ephesians is right there in Ephesians 2.10, that you're created as God's masterpiece, that he created you on purpose for a purpose, that the reason that you live and exist and have your being is very intentional. Be reminded today, as he was reminding the Ephesians, like God cares more about you personally than what you can even just do for him, that it's not about being little robots going about serving. No, you're sons and daughters. That means that he, his DNA is in you. He's intentionally made you. The aspects of your life that maybe you don't even like uh, when you're following God and they're redeemed, maybe you're like, I don't like my voice or I don't like, why was I made like this? Why, why was my nose like this? You know, why am I gifted in, in these certain areas and not these? Like, why can I speak but I can't sing? Uh, you know, what, what are those things in your life that you're questioning. Well, they all have traces of the DNA of your father for a specific purpose in your life. That now that you know Jesus Christ, that, that those plans and purposes and callings and giftings, they're all made alive in the Christ. So now by the spirit, you can start walking out those purposes. He says, not only did I create you that way, but I have works that I have set aside for you to fulfill. I have a purpose that is going to not only fulfill you and the reason that you were created. Have you ever done something and, and realized like a light bulb? Wait, wait, this is why I was created. I really enjoy this. This gives me life. This gives me vitality. This is, this is why I am on planet earth. That's connecting to your God-given purpose. He's saying, look, I'm very, I'm very intentional in creating you and these callings and things that I have set aside for you to walk in, would you please start by grace receiving that? You know, we make it so hard sometimes. We think, oh, to serve God, I have to, I have to be miserable or I have to suffer through or I have to uh, you know, work to, to gain some sort of um, green light to walk in the plans that he has for me. And God's like, no, it's, it's by grace through faith. It's believing it's believing in me. It's believing that, that I have a plan for your life, that I've created you with good things on my mind, and that not only have I created you, but I am going to see those purposes come to pass in your life, that I have them set aside, that you would, just by faith, start walking in them. And that's what Paul's telling us. He's saying, look, by grace, through faith, Ephesians, God has good things for you to start walking in. And then he goes on and he talks about you know, being one in Christ and unity that we have through the, through the body of Christ. And that, you know, that we shouldn't be going against each other, Jew and Gentile. No, now we are one in the body. 
And that unity that we can have in Christ is a beautiful thing. It doesn't mean that it, it doesn't mean uniformity, like we all have to be the same. No, uh, the law was fulfilled through Jesus. Now there are many sons and daughters, not just those who are the seed of Abraham, the Jewish believers, but now there is an adoption that has taken place. So he's saying, look, let me remind you, the Gentiles that are coming into uh, now what was reserved at one point for Jewish believers, you're all not going to look the same. You're not going to act the same. If you're waiting for those who are coming into the faith now to conform and become all uh, religious, like the law has been fulfilled through Jesus. So, so you're going to have to understand that there is a beauty in unity that doesn't mean uniformity. And what a great reminder to us today as, as we're uh, walking in the fullness of that as the church on a large scale, that a brother and sister in Christ doesn't have to be like me to be a Christian, that I can actually honor God at work in the masterpiece he's created in them, uh, that would actually honor God by honoring them and what he's doing in their life. So so Paul's reminding them, don't let these, don't let these fractions or these di- divisions be keeping you uh, separated as a body of Christ. No, no, as believers, there is unity within the body. And, and so I love that. And then chapter three, he goes on to talk about the mystery. Paul talks about the mystery of the gospel revealed. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. And he goes on to talk about the mystery that we have through Jesus Christ. The mystery is, he says in verse six, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ. He's reminding them that it is it is this mystery that now through Jesus, we all dwell in fellowship together, that we all have this opportunity to have a relationship in Jesus Christ. And then he shifts into verse 14, he shifts into this beautiful prayer over the church. And I love this because it's a prayer that we can often pray over our families, over our own lives. You know, go into the prayers that Paul prayed over the different churches in the New Testament and start to pray them over your ministries, over your job, over your life. And he goes on and he says uh, in verse 16, actually in the first 15, it says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with a power through his spirit in the inner being. So he goes, uh, Paul is talking in these first three chapters, he's talking about, you know, God the Father. Uh, He's talking about Jesus Christ. And he starts to introduce, you know, talking about the Holy Spirit, three in one. Once again, unity without uniformity. They're all their own individual, but all work in unity together. It says, may you have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This prayer is so special to me. I remember when my husband gave me my first Bible right after I had gotten saved, he wrote these words in the mate that you may know how high, how deep, how wide the love of God is for you and that you would experience that love for yourself. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. It's an encounter to start experiencing the love of God in our lives. And so that was a beautiful prayer that he prayed over them, that not only would you have knowledge of this one, 
but that you would have a revelation. There's a difference between having knowledge and having revelation. You know, but when it's revealed to you, it's by the Spirit of God. It's not by natural thinking. And Paul is saying, my prayer to you is this, that I can't be there, church in Ephesus, right now, but by His Spirit, you would have almost like a baptism or an endowment in the love of God to know how wide, how deep it is for your life and to experience that power. He says that, he says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask, think, or uh, uh, could do according to the power that is within us, to him be the glory and in the, Christ, the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What a beautiful first three chapters of the book of Ephesians to the people of Ephesus to remind them, look, you might have forgotten in my absence who you are in the Christ. You might have forgotten that you are loved by God. You might have started to see a little bit of uh, the world's mentalities or the Ephesus mentalities, uh, the idol worship, the, the many gods, the mysteries of the spirit realm. You might have seen that leak a little bit into uh, the new work that was began there. Let me now remind you who you are in the Christ. Let me remind you of the beautiful inheritance that we have through Jesus Christ. And I, I'm going to pause there. You can catch us with part two as we continue to go through the book of Ephesians. But I pray you're blessed as we dive into the word together.